0: This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors in the financial industry.
1: The time for empty talk is over.
2: The ECB is ready to do whatever it takes. Because Brexit means Brexit.
0: Outer Blue by Amundi. Hello, welcome for this Blue Conversation, I'm Jean-Jacques Barberis uh, at Amundi. First I hope that you're all safe. Uh, Here in Paris, we're expecting the new lockdown to be announced tonight. Uh, But today we're going to focus uh, on the American situation. uh, As if the polls in the US are accurate, Uh, Joe Biden should be elected the next president of the United States. But in the last election, we have experienced the fact that polls could be wrong. And there are also potential scenarios to be explored where we may not have the result of the elections immediately. So. As the elections grows closer, COVID-19 cases are rising in many parts of the world uh, and still is a threat to the global uh, economy. So I think here uh, around this call, investors that you are, are looking for answers on what the election will mean for the markets going forward. And this is what we are going to explore today in our call with two distinguished uh, guests. Uh, first, uh, Gillian Tapp, Chair of the Editorial Board and Editor-at-Large for the Financial Times in the United States. Good evening, Gillian. Good evening and Ken Tobes uh, who who is the U.S CIO on head of Hammondy investment platform the in the United States hello Ken it's a pleasure to have you again with us to comment the evolutions of the uh, American situation so I, I would like to start by uh, by you Gillian, with the first question. What is your view on the mood uh, of the American voters so far? And basically, what is your expectation for the election? So we're not going to ask you uh, what is your final bet. But do you think Biden will be the next U.S. president or not? Or what is the potential scenario that you consider we may expect in the coming weeks?
2: Yeah, this is the nature of the new digital age where we have to all grapple with technology. Um, Yes, if you ask me today what is going to happen, the odds are that Biden will indeed win. He has been running at an average of nine points ahead of Donald Trump in most of the recent polls, and that has not changed in spite of the recent debates and the news and even the attempted scandal mongering by the Republicans around Joe Biden's son. However, there are three reasons why I would just inject a bit of caution before deciding decisively that Biden will indeed be victorious. The first is that we are dealing with the Electoral College, it's not a popular vote, and of course back in 2016 there were moments when Hillary Clinton appeared to be riding as high as 10 points above Donald Trump, Um, so we have to look at the Electoral College. The Electoral College masks do look good at the moment, but you can't be too confident that there won't be some upsets. Secondly. It does seem that there are some voters who are still telling pollsters they don't know what they're going to do or simply refusing to say. And again, history suggests that they may be breaking for Trump. They may be the shy Trump voters. And although the polling industry has dramatically improved its techniques, we still don't know exactly how accurate the current polls really are. And it's worth pointing out that the political betting markets, prediction markets are giving a slightly different perspective right now, there have been growing numbers of bets in recent days on a potential Trump victory. The third, though, and biggest reason to be cautious is the issue of postal voting. It There is strong evidence that the vast majority of people who are have done postal voting in recent weeks have been overwhelmingly Democrat. It seems the Republicans prefer to actually go to the polls. And what could happen as a result of that is that On election night, the in-person polling results might possibly say that Trump has won or it's very close to call. It might prompt President Trump to actually call victory. And the subsequent postal votes could potentially challenge that. If that happens, given the amount of controversy around postal voting, we could be seeing a protracted potential legal fight, even a constitutional crisis. And that would be very bad news because... In essence, the three themes that have dominated the public mood running up to this election, which is what you asked about before, are what I call the three Ps. Pandemic, extreme fear, uncertainty, and a sense of frustration that America has only got 4% of the global population, but has produced about 25% of the deaths. And there's a lot of anger around that. Protest, the second P, a lot of anger towards the administration, But also, a lot of anger on the far right towards what they regard as a democratic, extreme, progressive movement. And lastly, of course, politics and polarization. All the signs are that this electorate is currently more polarized than it's ever been before, which is why, if we end up with some kind of contested results, the consequences could be quite ugly
0: and maybe can you uh, Julian before leaving the the floor uh, to uh, to Ken, for him uh, to uh, give us uh, his forecast uh, you said that potentially that would that could lead uh, to a political crisis in the likely scenario that uh, you have described from a constitutional perspective uh, can you explain to us what is at stake so what should happen or what could happen in case indeed uh, the president uh, trump uh, is Calling for victory uh, on the, the day of the election, but then afterwards that there is a change because uh, of the poll uh, of the postal voting. So constitutionally, what are what are the rules, and that uh, will have to be followed theoretically.
2: Well, es- essentially, what will happen is that if Trump tries to declare victory on election night, um, the first question to look out for is whether the television networks agree to accept it or not. There's been a very intensive discussion inside. A network like Fox Um, and I know a number of the people who are on air there about whether or not they will say anything if for example Trump does try to declare victory ahead of the postal votes coming in and I should say you know to the credit of my fellow journalists I think there's a strong feeling right across the political spectrum of the news group that they won't declare anything until we actually have a proper um, announcement and it's worth stressing this because you know within the American tradition The point at which the television host comes on air and declares what's happened or calls it is often a very important moment. However, if we end up with a situation where the results are unclear on the night of the election or still coming in, several things could happen. Firstly, the Republicans would almost certainly embark on an onslaught of lawsuits echoing what's happened in recent days, contesting the validity of the postal voting system either on a piece-by-piece basis, if they see what they consider to be cases of fraud, and Republicans are sending out election monitors right across the country to try and watch out for what they call potential fraud. You're likely to see more contests and more legal challenges of the sort we've already seen in places like Wisconsin trying to essentially either say these deadlines were imposed or that they weren't met, etc., etc. And that could go on for a very long time, going all the way up to the Supreme Court. Um, you could also see, unfortunately, um, you know, actual protests and potentially physical protests from parts of the Republican extremist movements who have signaled in recent days that they will not just stand by quietly. And this could potentially drag on for at least a month, potentially six weeks, and potentially even longer. Because one of the peculiarities of the American system, of course, is that the sitting president stays in place, stays in situ um, until early January, until the handover date. There's not a lot of mechanism for, not not, not a lot of clarity about what mechanisms exist to actually force him out if he is declared to have lost and refuses to leave. And you have a number of people consulting their sort of constitutional handbooks and having debates about what they'll actually do if Trump simply sits there and doesn't leave the White House or if he embarks on a scorched earth policy in some form to try and either muddy the waters or take revenge. Now, I hope that none of this happens. You know, I think that there is still, you know, a majority chance, I'd say 55% probability that we're going to get such a strong victory for Biden on the election night that, um, or the days after that, that none of this will actually happen. But the crucial thing to point out from the point of investors is that most people listening to this call, I imagine, grew up, or rather they grew up their careers in a world when you had a split between emerging market debt and developed market debt, and emerging market debt had risk which needed to be priced in around politics, not just around the policy pr- policy issues, but also about the process issues, how politics was done. It used to be considered that actually a country like America didn't have that kind of um, emerging market risk. Um, this year, elements of that are creeping in.
0: Thank you very much, Jillian. Uh, Ken, do you agree with uh, these potential scenarios, so potential uh, victor of uh, Mr. Biden the day of the election, but the scenario that was uh, mentioned by, by Jillian, uh, and that could be, I would say, probably must, much more po- complicated and problematic to, uh, to assess from a market perspective.
1: Correct. And um, yes, and, and, and it is shaping up to be um, pretty uncertain because of the mail in voting situation. Uh, keep in mind a lot of process around elections and voting are not nationally prescriptive but state by state so many of the states have very different rules including my own state massachusetts which allows voting by mail up until election day and will count votes up to three days after election day so if this is a tight election um then this could be quite problematic, and we may not know the results for many days after. I I would say, though, that um, I'm less concerned about a president sitting in the White House and and refusing to be moved rather than um, some resolution. It's not as though the Constitution does not contemplate um, difficult situations in fact there are some constitutional provisions that would spell out what would happen in the case of a disputed election or even a tie of electoral college votes and um, you know the exact process while not uh, implemented over our history it is there so it is open to some interpretation and I suspect there will be legal challenges not just from the Republicans but from both sides. And, and, and presumably in what I've heard, there are many lawyers being hired not on the, only on the Republican side, but also on the Democratic side. And in fact, um if you do have a disputed election and the results are not tallied, in theory, 41 days after the election, the election could go to the House of Representatives for the President and To the Senate for the Vice President it hasn't happened before but the House could be in a position of deciding the election and I'm not saying that would be a great outcome or a good outcome but it would be an outcome and and many people think wrongly that it is decided by the House on the number of congressmen but it's actually a number of of um, delegations in the House and today Actually, the Republicans, while the minority in the House, have the majority of the delegations. Of course, it's decided on the, the new con- newly constituted uh, Congress, so that could change. But today, it's the Republicans. So we will have to see, and the markets will have to get used to the fact that it may be days or even weeks. In fact, during the um, Gore-Bush situation, it was many many weeks and and the world did not stop spinning or fall apart completely so let's see what happens i I think also the outcome will be dependent on a few things while common sense says that biden will win based on all the polling which has been consistently in biden's favor i think there are a couple of unknowns one which occurred in the last election but maybe even more important in this election because trump has in the last three plus years become an even more um, controversial figure is that there's a proportion of voters in my view that will not admit that they're voting for trump (laughs) and will not admit to polls may not even admit to their own family or spouses who they're voting for and frankly we don't know uh, exactly um, what that silent vote will be um it's been reported for example i think as jillian said that people are angry about the deaths in the in the u.s obviously the burden of that unfortunately fell on the most vulnerable mainly the elderly and the elderly um, may in fact break towards biden uh but i think in addition to the silent vote we don't know exactly how some of the minorities will vote because there has been some evidence that trump is picking up some votes there despite the the racial tensions we saw over the summer particularly but continuing today with the argument that he has been fairly good with respect to his policies in improving the income job opportunities school opportunities for many minorities so that that is also a question so while common sense says that biden will win it's it's not clear we'll have to see the outcome Uh, furthermore i think it'll turn a little bit on if the biden campaign has been successful in turning this on a refer turning this as a referendum on donald trump's behavior and character because if you look at some of the polls, even today, that a majority of Americans, a small majority, but nonetheless a majority, still believe they're better off today than they were four years ago on economic issues. So it will be, do I vote my heart or my mind in terms of I hate the character, but like the policies? What, what will Trump, no pun intended, will it be character over policies? And um, we don't know completely yet.
2: Well, I think, I think you say it very well. I mean, I was going to simply add a couple of comments there, which is that um, if this ends up being disputed election and goes to the um, Constitution, much will then rest on the judicial process and the level of popular trust in the judicial, judicial process. Now, that's come under threat because of the way that the appointment of Amy Carabert, the new judicial um, Supreme Court member, has been put into place. Um, but it's worth actually looking, I'm looking at some very interesting survey data the other day, which shows that at present, um, almost 70% of Americans still say they trust the judicial process. Where only 35% of them say they trust trust the legislature and 46% say they trust the executive. Now, that level of trust in the judicial process, the good news is, is roughly the same as where it was at the beginning of the decade, where the trust in the other branch of the government has really collapsed. But, you know, one of the key questions will be, if it does go to the Supreme Court, how will the new composition of the Supreme Court actually influence the outcome? And will Americans accept that?
0: Thank you very much, uh, Julian. And to come back on, on a word that uh, Ken mentioned, I think we, common sense is no longer used in uh, politics in Western democracies. It's been a while that we cannot really use the word common sense anymore. But maybe uh, moving forward to uh, another part of the conversation, uh, I think there is since mr trump was elected there is the the questions raised by investors will the american policy change the day mr trump is not there anymore Uh, and i think for a number uh, of investors uh, they do believe and consider that uh, mr trump is probably the symptom of a number of things and of trends that will remain whatever happens, and that will remain after uh, after him, notably uh, on some element, uh, I would say, of the the foreign policy. So probably if Mr. Biden is elected, uh, one of the very first things he will do uh, would be to come back to the Paris Agreement on climate change, but at the same time, maybe fundamentally, uh, the position of the White House vis-à-vis China will not evolve that much. But this will also depend a lot uh, on the results of the other elections, which means the evolution uh, of the Senate, composition. So maybe, can, can you tell us, Gillian, uh, do you think that first the Democrats are going to take control of the Senate? And do you think that will have some implication going forward on the, poli- uh, on the policy that is being implemented, notably on the foreign policy side or not?
2: Well, there is a fair chance that they will get the Senate, but it's not certain by any means. Um, they need to essentially flip four seats, um, assuming that they lose one. And you know, there's a lot of um intense discussion right now about the likelihood of that. And to my mind it's probably around fifty fifty um looking at the different polls. But um as Ken says, you know, one of the problems is that we have a multiplicity of different states to deal with, trends in different states are different, the level or the quality of polling in each area is also different because we do have this problem of shy or unreached um, voters. So it would be a very bold person who predicts with huge confidence about whether they can flip the Senate or not. If they do flip the Senate, then much will also depend on who the secretary of state is. The most likely choice is Chris Coons. And if he is indeed appointed, um, I wouldn't expect radical change in foreign policy overall, except on the environmental agenda where I do indeed expect Biden to go back into the Paris Accord and to move really quite swiftly to trying to um, lessen the divide between America and Europe in terms of environmental policies. And by that I don't just mean in relation to things like um, you know curbs on fossil fuels, also um, on things like curbs of curbs or lack of them on investment flows into ESG products. But in other areas of foreign policy, I think there'll be certainly a change in rhetoric, but I wouldn't see a dramatic change in substance because you said earlier that Trump is as much a symptom as a cause of the current political climate and policy direction. One thing that I think will stay very much in place, no matter who wins, is this um, hostility towards China very noticeable that the Democrats have become very wary of China and there's an overarching mood of what I call localism, anti-globalization right across the board. Um, the difference though is on the Democrat side, this is very much um, coupled with an embrace of the unions. It's worth stressing that Biden has used the most pro-union language we've seen for a couple of decades And I fully expect to see a variety of Make America Great Again, but presented or couched in terms of union embrace, worker embrace, we're all in this together embrace, a kind of more palatable form of patriotism, if you like, but still a form of patriotism that means that anyone who's hoping to a sudden end of protectionism after the election is probably hoping for entirely the wrong thing.
0: Thanks. Ken, on your side, uh, if there is this uh, democratic sweep, uh, something that could be expected for sure uh, is, uh, I would say, a new focus uh, on the uh, economic policy, uh, notably uh, trying to address uh, some issues uh, at stake in the US, like social inequalities. Uh, Do do you expect, uh, even if uh, the program of the Democratic Party uh, has uh, evolved massively towards a more center approach uh, than a some uh, of, uh, I would say, initial thinking from other potential candidates that Biden. Do you do you expect a radical shift in the economic policy? Uh, and what uh, are do you do you think uh, it should be a concern for investors?
1: Well, I, I, I would never want to associate the word radical with the United States. Um, I, I don't think that's a good um, place for investing. But uh, personally, um, I, I have this funny suspicion. That uh, Mr. Biden, Vice President Biden, kind of deeply hopes that the Senate remains Republican, uh, because I do believe his tendency is more moderate, um, but he has been obviously pushed very, very far left in his platform by the you know, good showing of, of the left, particularly um, as we saw during the primaries. In fact, if you've noticed, the his main competitors have been very silent during this period. In fact, I suspect the campaign and the Democratic Party has wanted to put, you know, Bernie Sanders and, frankly, uh, Elizabeth Warren, the senator from Massachusetts, um, you know, in in, in the deep on, on, on ice until after the election because of their controversial platforms. But it is true that. The, you know, the Sanders campaign and and, and uh, folks associated with it had a very big hand in developing the Biden platform. And uh, I suspect Biden has, you know, been in politics, you know, as you know, for almost 50 years, is fairly malleable and goes where the wind blows and accepted this as a consequence of getting nominated and I don't think he deeply believes that some of these things would be great. So, I wonder what he really thinks about a, a huge blue wave because I could see it being good for their platform in the short term but maybe somewhat disastrous the next election if this radical platform that many believe is uh would got fully implemented. Keep in mind that the plan anticipates, and of course, no platform ever gets fully implemented it, almost five trillion in taxes over the next decade, but yet eight trillion of spending over the same period and The reason the market has been somewhat i think okay with all of this is because much of the difference in the revenues and spending occurs in the first couple of years of the plan in the first two years in fact and uh, the market is looking at this as being very stimulative in the very near term but I think longer term it could be quite detrimental to the economy the economy's potential for growth if a lot of these plans are, are implemented in, in, as proposed
0: Gillian do you believe I in would, Mr. Biden's yeah. secret hope uh, as, uh, as Ken mentioned it
2: well, I, I would agree with several things um, Ken said. Firstly, I actually don't think Biden is ideological. Um, he is someone who believes strongly in public service. Um, but actually, I think I would f- f- strongly agree, as someone who's sort of, you know, encountered him over the years, that he is quite malleable and he believes in making America better, but actually isn't wedded to a hard and fast idea about what that should entail. Um, a second point I make is that the Democrats are keenly aware that, you know, although the debt has increase very rapidly under the Republicans, if they win, they will get blamed for any subsequent debt increase. And there's a certain amount of, you know, wondering how they can actually parley this. So I would agree, again, that having a Republican Senate may not be viewed as such an appallingly bad idea by the people around Biden. It's worth pointing out the numbers because they are absolutely astonishing. I mean, you know, debt to GDP right now is currently around 80%. Um, It's projected to hit, uh, sorry, last year was 80%. It's projected to be topping 100% pretty soon. If you look at the basic CBO um, baseline, which is not the radical alarmist scenario, you're looking at figures that just go off the charts very, very rapidly, well above 100%, towards 120 140%. And thus far, the Republicans have been incredibly quiet about this. I mean, it's quite remarkable the change in focus um, in the last decade, if you compare to what was happening, say, under Obama with the whole discussion about debt clocks and things like that. But there will certainly be a renewed focus on this if the Democrats do try to press ahead with a radical um, stimulus plan. Um, And the question of how that dovetails with climate plans is going to be particularly interesting. Um, There's quite a lot of evidence that the younger parts of the Republican Party are shifting to take a different stance on climate change and some of the more mainstream members are as well in response. But still, you know, climate change is the, um, the touchstone that makes many Republicans very, very um, angry and polarized. And so any Green New Deal that gets unveiled will be you know, particularly controversial. As shown by the fact one should say that during the presidential debate, Biden actually tried to disavow his plans to have a specific Green New Deal.
0: So maybe it's uh it's the good time in the conversation to move a little bit uh, to uh, the uh, impact on the markets uh, and uh, the markets expectations. So maybe Jillian, starting with you first. Uh, I think um, one of the big questions that uh, investors are facing at the moment is uh, if whether markets have gotten ahead of themselves and are too optimistic. So as you were mentioning, uh, there is a, a huge increase uh, of the American debt uh, to protect the economy the maximum possible um, at the moment still uh, there are some very strong element pockets of strengths uh, within the. US economy so at the moment uh, if you're if you're wearing an investor's shoe uh, or investors shoes uh, what should be uh, your focus going forward do, what do you think investors should focus going forward looking at uh, the evolution of the US markets
2: well I think there are three or four questions I need to think about. Um, the first is a question that's hanging over everybody, particularly if you are in Paris or France right now, and sort of my commiserations that you're heading for a new lockdown, which is, will there be a new lockdown in America? And um, in particular, what policy would a Biden administration take towards a lockdown? Because the Trump administration has been very um, outspoken about saying it doesn't want to impose mass lockdowns for fear of them hurting economic growth. Um, the Biden administration has challenged them for that thus far Biden has said he will impose a mask mandate and introduce um, rules and frameworks for when to reopen schools he hasn't said whether he would actually impose a lockdown or not but there's a quite lively debate inside the Democrat circles around him right now about whether there should be a lockdown and if that happens what will that do to growth again are we going to see a return to what we saw in the second quarter of the year or something like that. And I don't think investors have really priced that risk in properly right now, i.e. a return to a slowdown in growth because of a lockdown. Second point to think about is the one we just talked about is obviously the debt profile and the degree to which um, Biden does come in with the type of stimulus policies and the budget projections that will spook investors. They've been extraordinarily resilient thus far, but that could change and um, certainly you know, big scary numbers could make people reassess what is happening. Um, a third point that people need to think about is obviously the environmental issue, the ESG question, um, and the speed at which um, Biden does try to implement um, ESG-friendly policies, as I said before, not just in terms of tangible measures around um, the fossil fuel sector, but also around things like the rules at the Department of Labor Um, around fiduciary duty and whether the SEC tries to, say, join forces with the European Commission in embracing some elements of a green taxonomy or not. Seems hard to believe at the moment, but there's certainly people around Biden who realize the significance of what happens to capital in that respect. And last but not least, it's worth stressing that at the end of the day, an awful lot of what happens to markets um, rests on the Federal Reserve. Um, much of what's happened in the last couple of years has rested on the Federal Reserve. In fact, you can argue that on one level, Jay Powell is infinitely more important right now than any president, whoever that president might be. I don't expect um, Powell to change his policy anytime soon. The Fed has signaled that it wants to keep um, rates where they are until um, 2022. And certainly Powell is a man who feels... Very, very strongly indeed, the weight of responsibility on his shoulders to try and keep things stable in these very rocky seas. He takes it very personally. Um, Quick side note, by the way, he's also somebody who actually is rather sympathetic to environmental causes, um, by the way. Um, But um, the key point is that inside the Fed, though, there is also some concern amongst senior Fed officials about the way that the um, zero rate policy has been encouraging potentially unwise risk-taking. And it's going to be very interesting indeed to see whether the Fed tries to slam on the brakes in any way, shape or form on what it regards as unwise levels of risk-taking going forward or not.
0: So, so, Ken, in a way, how do you react to Gillian's uh, four points? Uh, is it a possible lockdown priced in or not The debt profile and the speed of a more, I would say, integration of the environmental issue and the fact that at the end of the day, we're living under, I would say, administrative uh, markets. How how does that impact the way you're building up your portfolios at the moment? Uh, and uh, what should be your recommendation with the investors in terms of asset allocation uh, in uh, in that context?
1: Well, I, with respect to uh, the market and lockdowns, I think the market is in the process of pricing in this week lockdowns in Europe, <laughs> as, as, the, uh, as you started out the conversation with 85 percent probability in your view of lockdowns in France soon. We don't know the nature of it, but still some sort of lockdown, and you know the, the market was grappling with Ms. Merkel with a so-called lockdown light. So and and lots of internal pressure on johnson as well in the uk so frankly the market is in the process this week um and the end the last week of pricing and some lockdowns in europe but not in the united states of course yet and um i i think that uh, we certainly have a lot more volatility if lockdowns in the u.s were going to be a reality and um i i think that um Clearly, um, the market had viewed the, the the stimulus plan, even even if the short-term stimulus plan was uh, kicked, you know, the can down the road until after the election. The the, the totality of of the Biden platform, and with some degree of, of still confidence after the election that a a fiscal stimulus plan would be enacted, that. The market was okay with that so the real volatility is related not to the election in my view but these lockdowns so i I think in europe we're beginning to price it i mean the markets were down three four percent last i looked just today um with respect to the the fed uh, I, i make a few comments here one i i think the fed has already decided that they understand that uh, um, they may have some financial consequences in terms of blowing up so-called bubbles, but I, I, I think they have pretty much decided to ignore it for the most part and will deal with it, I think, more administ- administratively, frankly, uh, rather than through monetary policy directly. Um, I, I think the Fed has made a, a very strong and important shift in its policy. Uh, it never came out explicitly and said we follow the Phillips curve, the trade off between inflation and, and employment. But essentially, that had been a model, and they had preemptively tightened rates over many cycles, including the last one, in anticipation of inflation with an ever tightening labor market. They basically said, that's going on the shelf, we're going to ignore that, and we're not going to preemptively raise rates. And, and I think that's a big shift, and uh, they will not raise rates, at, even as the economy picks up and eventually inflation picks up. And uh, that, that is, in my mind, uh, pretty clear from what they said. The market has been somewhat disappointed only because they didn't also say th- to accelerate the inflation targets, we're also going to step up our near-term quantitative easing, which they have not, in fact. But keep in mind, since the spring, the economy has been recovering fairly well. In fact, uh, we don't know what's precisely going on now, but for the quarter ended September 30th, it's likely that GDP expanded over 30%, which is very V-like. So why spend all your bullets when things are moving along now we could get into a situation with a lockdown that um, requires them to step up their efforts but in no shape or form in my view are are they going to weigh the fact that high yield spreads are too tight or investment grade credit spreads are too tight in the face of a national economy that needs some stimulus Um, the debt situation is very very important longer term and You know, it's somewhat quaint now. Um, I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek, the fact that our debt-to-GDP ratios keep going up um, and and become very, in in some cases, very European-like in in some European countries where this 100% or more debt-to-GDP has existed for decades. But it's become quaint, I say, because, you know, there is a strong academic bias now and, and support foundation for this modern monetary theory, which which basically says deficits don't matter, that doesn't matter, until such time as it starts infecting your currency. So I I think that we have to monitor the currency and see what happens. Um, But I think the recipe, the prescription of ever-rising fiscal deficits combined with a low or no response from a central bank on real rates as the economy improves is a recipe for a weak dollar, and, and, and that's a concern longer term in my view. Um, but in the meantime, I, I think that um, we should see the longer this goes uh, and the closer we get to next year in terms of time in, in, in the next few months, uh, as we see perhaps some success on therapeutics and vaccines, frankly, um, the risk of a complete lockdown goes down, I think. And even today, so far, it's not definitive, of course, even as the cases in the US have approached um, and exceeded, I think this week, 70,000 on a daily basis. The death rates are still very, very modest, thank God. Uh, of course, everyone is unwelcomed, but very low compared to the spring. And even the hospitalizations while turning up are still very, very manageable, except in a few really very rural parts of the United States um, that were not affected last time and probably caught somewhat unaware of what was going on. Uh, So I I think uh, we're gonna continue to plot along. The economy has a lot of momentum. Inventories in the U.S. are very, very light. Housing is a near boom. Auto inventories are exceptionally low, and we're selling as many autos almost pre pandemic um, now. And uh, these sectors have very high multiplier effects on the economy. And I I think this is going to continue to uh, put some momentum behind the economy. Of course, if we shut down the service economy, this will be bad. Now, keep in mind, there's a very big political angle I'll finish up with on this question because it's become clearer and clearer that in this age of inequality and concern about inequality of wages and incomes, lockdowns fall most heavily on the underprivileged and those that are working in hotels and travel industries tend to be those with the lower incomes and frankly the burden of these lockdowns have fallen most heavily on them and the communities in which they live which tend to be the lower income communities So to shut down the economy again is essentially exacerbating inequality because those of us most of whom are on this call for example are either comfortably working from home or in an environment that allows us to avoid the worst of the pandemic and still make money so uh, i think this is a very big angle on on the lockdown
0: i i strongly agree and i think this is also going to be a, a debate uh, that is going to rebound at uh, european at european level huh? the anti-redistributive effect of the lockdown is clear um, and that's why it's interesting uh, at least uh, in france uh, it's interesting to see that be, even before that the president has announced anything you can already see the uh, finance minister uh, putting some billions on the table uh, trying to <laughs> ensure that uh, this could be uh, accepted also and clearly and these billions are I would say directly targeted uh, vis-a-vis the the people that are going to be the most affected by the lockdown and and the sectors associated. Uh, Maybe uh, we're coming to the end of this conversation so I I would like to have uh, you both giving us I would say one quick word on what is, I would say, your midterm outlook. So at least uh, I would say on a one-year basis, Ken, you, you've started to touch this a little, um, mentioning the fact that you believe uh, that the dollar is probably going to weaken in the long run. Uh, so what are your expectations, uh, I would say? on the U.S. economy and the U.S. market uh, if you were to be a year afterwards? I know it's a complicated question uh, in the context we're living in uh, as uh, it's difficult to predict anything um, and the level of uncertainty is very high. But what should be, I would say, uh, your your vision of where we will be in one year?
1: Well, I I think that in one year's time, I, I think we'll see better economic news frankly um i'm a little bit of an optimist that one of or several of these vaccines will have some efficacy that already the therapies that are being developed and more will come online the longer we go and that will also reduce hopefully not only the hospitalizations but the worst outcomes from the pandemic and we begin to learn to live with it secondarily i think there's tremendous pent-up demand for services um, you already see it as soon as we opened up a little bit uh, the economy at least in the u.s has taken off and i think that is even um, just the tip of the iceberg and then you overlay that with the likelihood of no matter what happens in the election that either administration will at least put on the table some fiscal stimulus after the election coupled with uh... frankly the continuation of an extraordinarily easy monetary policy that will actually become even easier as the fed holds rates near zero and the economy improves and real rates become more negative Um so i think that uh... the economy has some momentum excepting for a complete shutdown is likely to look better and i would point out a couple of specifics one People love to say that U.S. equities are overpriced. Now, of course, if you look at the Russell 1000 Growth or the S and P, even you can say that, given the concentration of some of the tech and social media stocks that have done so well. But I, I think if you look at it somewhat differently, and and maybe just a rough way to look at it is, over the last year, for example the S&P, which many people watch and know, is up 15%, well, this is before today. And yet, if you look at the SPW, which is the equal weighted S&P 500, not the normal S&P, which is cap weighted, that index over the same period is up only 2.5%. So a 13 point difference. And, And this is even more extreme when you look at growth stocks versus valued stocks. So if you can envision an economy where we're getting fiscal stimulus, some regaining of control of the virus through therapies and vaccines, that, frankly, the market will broaden out and you'll see much better opportunities in some of these cyclical industrial-type companies, even globally. And up until very recently, you saw... New highs in, um, in frankly base metals like iron ore, copper, aluminum, reflecting much stronger growth, not just here, by the way, but in China as well, in parts of Asia, uh, and the yield curve had been steepening, all signs, welcome signs of frankly better economic growth. So I could see us a year from now thinking very differently about the economy and the markets.
0: Okay, Gillian, do, do you share that, uh, I would say, a sense of uh, optimism? It's good to have some optimism in the room when you know that you're going to be locked down tonight.
2: Well, I would share some of that optimism in the sense that I would agree that there probably will be fiscal stimulus after the election, no matter who comes in. Um, I think the, m- the monetary stimulus will continue, and obviously, if the economy starts to recover real interest rates will become even more negative and more stimulative. And I would share some of your optimism about the idea that COVID will gradually recede. Um, I'm slightly less optimistic about a vaccine coming through quickly and being distributed quickly, which of course is the other leg of the puzzle. But I am very struck, as Kenneth said, by the really quite dramatic increase in therapeutics. And it's worth stressing that the AIDS you know dramas and threats were eventually controlled to a degree not through a vaccine but through therapeutics you know many diseases in history have been essentially handled through therapeutics as much as anything else and i think that is being significantly underplayed at the moment so i think there's a reasonable chance that things get better gradually um you know to some degree i'm not quite as optimistic as ken but I'd really like to end just by stepping back for a moment and going back to what will be on the cards almost irrespective of the election because I first went to Davos, the World Economic Forum back in 2007 and I joked to my colleagues then that everyone in Davos was consumed by faith in the holy trinity of ideas that drove Davos man. And that was a belief in free market capitalism, in globalization and innovation. And the assumption was that history only went in one direction and free market capitalism and innovation and globalization will just get deeper and deeper. One way to make sense of what's going on today is that we're seeing history going into reverse and it's been going to re- reverse for several years. We've seen globalization sparking a big backlash and I don't see that radically changing under Biden. I think we're seeing free market capitalism being increasingly challenged and I think that you know, whether it's the Fed essentially controlling or shaping so much of the market prices at the moment, whether it's the fact that the government is likely to get increasingly re-involved in the economy under Biden administration, or whether it is kind of top-thumping, we're all in it together, patriotism in conjunction with the unions, I think that trend is going to continue, which then, of course, leads the question of innovation. And, you know, rapid tech innovation has accelerated under COVID-19. Um, Big tech has absolutely come to dominate. I mean, one of my favorite statistics right now is that the the big tech right now, um, the big tech companies currently account for about 45% of the S&P 500, which is a higher level of concentration than we've ever seen before in any sector. It's worth remembering that finance in 2007 was only around about 25%. And to my mind, one of the questions is, Will that spark a backlash or will big tech be wrapped up in the patriotic flag? and what does that do to inequality and growth going forward? And that's a question that will last much longer than the election.
0: Thanks that's that's a great great question, Gillian and you've shared your preferred statistic. I'm going to share my, my favorite quote about Davos, I think it was the former CEO of J.P. Morgan, that was mentioning that for him, Davos was the place where billionaires explain to millionaires what the middle class thinks, um, uh, <laughs> which I think is a very nice definition. Uh, on that little <laughs> element of humor to end up this conversation, I would like to thank you both uh, very much on behalf uh, of all of our audience. Uh, so we will see uh, if we have a result next tweet. Uh, and before that, uh, for those who are concerned, and I think we're more and more to be concerned at European level at least, I wish to all the participants uh, the nicest lockdown possible and keep safe. Thank you very much, Ken, and thank you very much, Jillian. Bye-bye. This podcast is only for the attention of professional investors as defined in Directive 2004-39-EC, dated 21st of April 2004, on markets in financial instruments called MIFID, investment services providers, and any other professional of the financial industry. Views are subject to change and should not be relied upon as investment advice on behalf of a Mundi.